All right. We got no Jim here tonight uh, to read. Let me go ahead and uh, we're in uh, the book of Romans, but we're going to start with Psalm 119, verse 57. Let's see here. Hosea. Wait, wait, wait. I should have had the page open and I don't. I apologize. Okay. Psalm 119, verse 57 says, um, this is Chet, you are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. All right, um, we need to uh, open in prayer here. Let me get to the right page. We're going to be in uh, Romans 2.27. And uh, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for the opportunity to come today to uh, study your word, to share in it, and to fellowship in it. And uh, we have a special prayer request for Mabel today, who uh, is going to have a, a biopsy, and we would pray that your hand would be with her during that, and that uh, it would come out okay according to your wisdom, and uh, keep her from any coughing spells while she's going through that, because that's a necessary thing at that particular uh, area of biopsy. And we do pray for that. We pray for uh, those who are not here today. We pray for Elaine, who's having a birthday today, and uh, we wish her a happy birthday, even though she's not here. And we pray for safety for the people that are in the nation's capital tomorrow, that are uh, attending the inauguration, that there would not be the disaster which the left wants to uh, wreak on this nation and to uh, just continue to embarrass themselves further. We would pray that they would be hindered in doing so, and that uh, any that are miscreants would be caught and prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And uh, we thank you that there is mercy in Christ, even if there may not be in the, uh, the uh, court system on those people. But uh, we thank you for Jesus, who does forgive us of all of our sins. And uh, we just look forward to a wonderful eternity with him. We look forward to it, and we just are in anticipation of it, whenever that will be. We pray that your hand will be upon our new president, that you will guide him to make wise decisions, regardless of what happens in this nation. It may be that the economy cannot bear up under the weight, and we would pray that you would give him wisdom through that, or through any war or any trial that comes his way. And we thank you for the opportunity to come to you in this regard. Thank you again for your word, and we pray that you will be glorified through how we handle it. We praise praise you endlessly, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I uh, I uh, will tell the people online, we've got to make this a one-hour Bible class tonight. Um, I, uh, I have a wife that is not at the house, and I have got a huge obligation, if you know what I'm talking about. And um, so I, I, I need to get there at a reasonable time. But um, uh, so the people online, I apologize about that. And um, it's just something that I have to do. And um, so anyway, we'll, we'll see if we can get 55 full minutes in for you before that happens. And um, maybe a surprise or two as well. But uh, here we go. We're going to go to uh, Romans chapter 2 and we're in verse 27. 
Are you okay? Are you going to have a ride home today? Yes. You will? Cindy's coming. Okay, good. All right. Um, let's see here. Romans 2.27 says, um, and will not, let's go back and just start from 25, which is the beginning of a new paragraph. Uh, 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And this goes to exactly what I typed this morning in uh, the uh, verse that I typed this morning before I even go on was Ephesians, uh, let's see, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, what was that? I think it was 3.3 3 or 3.2 that I typed this morning. I'll let you know in just a second. And uh, it's funny that that's what he's talking about. Um, I may have even cited the verse that I just read. Yes, um, uh, Philippians 3, 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Who is he writing to in Philippians? Philippians. Yeah, but... I mean, Ephesians believers. Uh, Philippians and Philippi. Uh, but, Philippi. But who are they? Gentiles. Gentiles, thank you. And what does he say to them? We are the circumcision. He's writing to Gentiles who've never been circumcised, who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And he says, though I might have confidence, and he goes on from there, speaking about his background. But he's saying that they are the circumcision, okay? And so what does he say here in verse 25? Start there again. For circumcision it is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And verse 27 uh, I'm sorry, where was I? Verse 26. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man, exactly what he's very consistent in his writings, keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? It's exactly what he says in Philippians 3. Then he goes on to verse 27, which is our first verse of the day. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you? who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. So he's writing to Jews still, and he's asking an obvious question. Okay, so verse 27, here's my thoughts on it. Another question which demands a yes answer is handed to the Jews of Paul's day. Those Gentiles who are the physically uncircumcised, just as writing to the Philippians, who fulfill the law will judge those who have the written code and circumcision. Before I go on. How can the, the Gentiles fulfill the law? Through Jesus. They don't have the law, right? The only way they can fulfill it is because Christ fulfilled it and they are in Christ. Therefore, they have fulfilled the law. It's so simple and yet people try to make this a complicated issue. Especially, once again, the Hebrew Roots Movement. I bring them up time after time because it's such a poison that is in the world today. These people are saying, you always know them too. If you go onto Facebook and they may have like their name written Hebrew under their name, and they the posts they make are always about, you know, I'm observing uh, this feast day or something like that. And you have to say, why are you doing that? It's fulfilled in Christ. And it, 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 it is not appropriate to reintroduce law. There's nothing wrong with doing things in the law. If you want to go and observe a Passover on, you know, to learn what they did, that's fine. But if you're doing it in order to merit God's favor, it's a completely different issue. This is what Paul speaks about. Galatians in particular. He uses what as the benchmark in Galatians? We're talking about right now, but he uses it throughout the book of Galatians. Circumcision, that's right. He uses it right there, and he says that if you allow yourself to be circumcised, which is everything to the Jew, it is the standard of every other part of the law, then what? If you allow yourself to be circumcised, you're a debtor to the whole law. Every precept. 
if you allow yourself to be circumcised, if you say, I must observe a Sabbath, I don't care if you observe a Sabbath, but if you say, I must do it and I'm doing this to obtain God's favor, you are a debtor to the whole law. Hmm. Now you have to go back under all 631 laws of the law of Moses in order to please him. You can't wear clothes with two types of material in it. That's almost impossible in today's world. You know, if you're a farmer, you can't put two types of uh, crop in the same field. Well, who would want to do that anyway? But you know what I'm saying. Anyway, you're a debtor to all kinds of stuff that you do not do. You don't wear a tallit around town. You don't have a blue thread in the uh, seat seat on your tallit. All of these things, millions of little precepts and law, you're a debtor to it. If you allow yourself to be circumcised. If you, and like I said, that is just simply a representation of all of the law. If you say, I need to do this one thing in order to please God, you're saying what he did is insufficient. And you, you know better than God. I'm just going to say, well, thanks, Jesus, but I can do better. That's what you're doing. So, to, You're not a farmer, of course. No. You plant corn, and you plant pole beans, and the pole beans go up the corn. But you do plant two seeds. Yeah, I had no idea. I don't know anything about pole beans, and I don't even know what a pole bean is. So, yeah. It just grows on the vine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Boy, I know nothing about that. So... Going back to where we were. Hello, young lady. How are you? <laughs> Yay. Um, okay, so we do have kind of a little class today. We, we're still missing five or six people that are out of town or out of here and there. You, but You said it was okay to observe the Passover, but who's, who's the priest, the high priest? Who's no, no, I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Passover cedar. Staying oh, up all night. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I, I, that's what I'm talking about. People oh, yeah. do that all the time. We did it at Grace. Yeah. Remember that, Seth, or whoever had the Passover? Yeah. You're learning what they did at the time. You're yeah. not doing it because you're obligated to do it. Okay. You're simply saying, oh, I want to, or if you want to go out and build a booth and live in it over tabernacles, who cares? But if you're doing it because I am going to be pleasing to God by doing this, psh, psh, you have set aside the grace of Christ. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. Okay. You know, we can do anything, but if we're doing it for a particular reason as saying, I need to do this, you have fallen from grace. Okay, let's go on. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, where was I? Okay, those Gentiles who are physically uncircumcised who fulfill the law will judge those who have the written code and circumcision. The Jews who have the law and the sign of the law, which is circumcision, because their failure to meet the law of which circumcision is a sign. And what's another sign that God gave to the Jewish people? He did not give it to anybody else in the world. It is, it's the big one that most of the Hebrew Roots Movement people cling to. You've got circumcision, but one other thing. It was said, this is a sign to you, between me and you. Sabbath. The Sabbath. Yes. It was never given to the Gentile people. They say, oh, it was known from the beginning of the world. No. You go back to the sermon where the Sabbath was introduced, and the wording is very precise in the Hebrew. It was given for the very first time to Moses as a sign to that they were his people. So the Sabbath and circumcision are solely signs to the uh, people of Israel. Anyway, we'll go on. It is obvious in and of itself that having the law and having the sign of the law is pointless in one, unless one obeys the law that they have. We talked about that last week. If you, uh, if you have um, a uniform of the United States of America um, Army, Okay, and your name is Major Hassan, and you go into Fort, uh, what was it, Fort Worth or Fort, uh, Fort Wood, Fort Hood, Texas, and you shoot a bunch of other soldiers. Did that uniform mean anything to you? Did it mean that you're a, a soldier of the United States Air Force? No, he's a soldier of Allah. 
He should have been executed by now, but we've got a precedent that refuses to handle these things, and hopefully Trump will come in here and he'll take care of that. They, um, they, um, uh, I, I need to get my head clear out of that one. I, that's what happens when you go interrupting. I, I just, I'm trying to brush over this very quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, no, 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 don't worry about that. Um, the, um, yeah, 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 back it up. We have, what we have here is a guy that did something that negates the very uniform that he's in. And then we have somebody that is a Jew and has, we'll call it his uniform, the sign of circumcision. And when he doesn't obey the law, which is tied into the circumcision, then he negates his circumcision. That's what Paul is trying to tell them. It is completely contrary for a Jew who says, I'm, you know, taking care of uh, my Jewiness and not obeying the law, which is tied into a circumcision. It, it makes no sense. Okay, so let's go on from there. Um, and so Paul has laid out the precepts to show us this. Okay, they involve the following thoughts, and I'm going to read you my thoughts on this. One, having the sign of circumcision without fulfilling the law which mandates the sign is lawlessness, right? You've got the circumcision, you don't fulfill the law, and so and the, the sign mandates that you follow the law, and when you don't, it's lawlessness. This is what we see all the way through the Old Testament. The Jewish people claiming that they are Jewish people, they're bragging in their temple, which is a sign that they're the covenant people there in Jerusalem. They say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and yet they don't obey what is supposed to be going on in the temple. If they bring a sacrifice, they're not supposed to bring one with any blemish, but they bring it up. And what does he say? You know, I think it's in Malachi. He says, would you do this? you know, to your governor, see if he will accept you. He says, but I'm a great king. He's their God. And they're doing the things that are contrary to the very sign that they bear. The whole Old Testament bears witness to this, that they were not observing the very law that the sign mandated. Okay, second, those who fulfill the law, regardless of whether they have the sign of the law or not, will receive God's praise. And once again, nobody can meet God's law. Nobody. So how can you fulfill the law? It's by calling on Jesus because he fulfilled it in our place. We are now moving from Adam into Christ, and therefore we fulfill the law. And so we don't need the sign because he bore the sign and he fulfilled the law. So we don't need the sign because we are in him and he has fulfilled the law for us. We have fulfilled the law through him. On the other hand, those who have the sign, circumcision, but who fail to fulfill the law may receive praise from man, but not from God. And what do you see in the Jewish people all over the world today? Oh, you're a Jew! And they compliment each other. See? You're a great Jew. And yet they don't fulfill the law. So they get their praise from men, but they don't get it from God because they're not fulfilling the law, which the sign mandates that they do. And they haven't called on Jesus, which is the ultimate fulfillment of the law. And so, once again, they're back to the same conundrum. Three, those who do not have the sign but who keep the law are more pleasing to God than those who have the sign but do not keep it. Okay? Paul still, he's shaking his head. He understands that. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. What, is, what makes God happy? What is the one thing that will make God happy? Receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Jews down at Chabad, down the road, have they received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? No, but do they have the sign of circumcision? Are they pleasing to God? No. So you're more pleasing to God than they are, and yet they have the sign. This is what Paul is telling us. Four, those who keep the law, regardless of having the sign, will judge 
those who do not keep the law, even if they have the sign. And what does it say? Um, Revelation just came to mind. Good verse for this one. It'll take me a second to find it, but we'll get there. It's prob probably Revelation 2. It might be Revelation 3. Let's see here. Um, do, 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 do. Da, 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 da. Let me check here. Revelation 3. No. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. No. Hang on. No. This will take just a second. Ah, there it is. Revelation uh, 2. I'll start at 8. And to the church of Smyrna. Right. These things says the first and the last, those who was dead and who came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Who is he speaking about? Any Jew who has not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Right? And what does he say down here somewhere? He goes uh, elsewhere. He says, uh, maybe it's right there. No, not there. Anyway, he says it somewhere else in um, his uh, letters that they will, maybe that was it right there. Anyway, no, um, give you the crown of life, that's not it. Anyway, he goes on and he speaks about that again, that they will come down and bow before you. I'm, I'm misquoting it, but anyway, I don't see it right here. Anyway, the Jews that did not receive Jesus Christ are a synagogue of Satan. Why? Because they rejected Jesus Christ. And all are under the power of the devil, unless you're in Christ. The Old Testament saints were in Christ positionally because of their hope in Messiah. Those who rejected that are no longer in that position. They're hoping for Messiah today, aren't they, the Jewish people? They're just not hoping for the right one. He has come. He has fulfilled his job, and you must call on him. So the Old Testament saints were saved. They were positionally in Christ, the Christ of God, by faith in what God had promised was coming. Now that he's come, you can't be in that position anymore. You have to have faith in what he has done. Okay, that's who the synagogue of Satan is, is any Jew who has not called on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That doesn't mean, once again, I don't want to get people all too stirred up, that we shouldn't support Israel. We should support Israel. Why? Because God has placed them back in the land. They are back in the land for his purposes. But we have no fellowship with the Jewish non-believers in Christ. Okay? We don't have any fellowship with the people that are on the street. And I'm talking about communal fellowship and spiritual fellowship. I'm not talking about going up and saying hi to people. And I've got a lot of friends that are Jews that go to synagogue and they're friends of mine. But they are not in Christ. And I cannot pat them on the back and say, we'll see you in heaven someday. We're not going to do that. You must come through Christ in order to be saved. All right? You are either in Christ or you are in the devil. 1 John 3, 8. There's no other options. Okay? So... Because they have rejected their, their Messiah, that is who that's speaking about. So we'll go on. Um, finishing, four, I'm going to start with four again, even though I've read the first half of it. Those who keep the law, regardless of having the sign, will judge those who do not keep the law, even if they have the sign. As before, we can simply insert the word judge into those who have the sign of the law to help us make mental images of what these points make. All right, one. Being a judge without fulfilling the law which mandates what he judges is lawlessness. I'm just simply taking, instead of saying a Jew, I'm saying a judge that's sitting on a bench somewhere. Okay, so you can get a mental picture of what I'm talking about. If you were a judge without fulfilling the law which mandates what he judges, you're a lawless judge, right? Think of what, uh, who's the guy? John Roberts, the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice. He had a decision about Obamacare about three years ago which was not in accord with the law. 
They had already said this isn't a tax, and then they said it is a tax. And he judged unfavorably in that. He was not upholding the law. So think of the Jews doing the same thing. I'm just trying to give you an example. Hello, how are you? Two, those who obey the law, regardless of whether they are judges or not, will be secure in what the laws of the nation requires. Okay? There's a judge that isn't upholding the law, but if you're just a citizen in the country and you obey the law, you're doing what the law requires. I'm just simply switching judge for Jews so that you can get a mental picture, okay? On the other hand, those who are judges but fail to fulfill the law may receive praise from men. Did John Roberts get a lot of praise for what he did? Well, yeah, well, not from the right, but he got it from the left. He was their hero. He got all kinds of it because they are judges but not from the nation who was given the law. The nation as a whole was not happy with the guy, but all the people on the left... His buddies were very happy with it. You see what I'm... It's the same thing. All you have to do is take a different category of people, put it into Paul's logic, and it fits. We'll do another one. Three, those who are not judges but keep the law are more pleasing to the nation who has given the law than those who are judges but don't keep it. Think of all the judges up in the Supreme Court who are not... Who is it that actually said, if Trump wins, I'm going to leave America? But who in particular am I talking about? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She she is there to uphold the law of the United States of America. She is not there to enter the political scene. That is not her position ever as a judge. And yet she did. She entered the political scene and she should have to now recuse herself from the Supreme Court of the United States if she was a person of integrity because she has violated the main precept of being an impartial judge. I've got blindfolds on and I've got a balance and I will not look at anything except the law itself. And she should step down from the United States Supreme Court. She won't, but she should because of this precept right here. Just as a Jew who does not uphold the law should say, I'm not a Jew. And yet they will never do that. They will never say, I'm not a Jew. I'm circumcised. I'm a Jew. I come from Jewish people. I speak Hebrew, right? But they are not a true Jew, according to Paul, unless they do what the law says. And what does the law point to? Christ, right? So they're not doing what the law says, okay? But they do have seven more years, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. They will be reinstated in order to refine them and bring them into the covenant, meaning the new covenant, not the old covenant. Okay, so you see, we have to be careful with the Jewish situation. Even though they are at enmity, as Paul will say in Romans 9 through 11, with us, for the sake of the patriarchs, they are beloved. He will bring them back into the fold because of his promises to the patriarchs and because of his own holy name's sake, Ezekiel 36, 22. Okay, so those who keep the law, four. Oh, no, let me go back, three. Those who aren't judges, I did that one, four. Those who keep the law, regardless of whether they are appointed judges, will judge those who don't keep the law, even if they are appointed judges. Now we've got a Supreme Court justice, the main one, who did not keep the law, and guess what? He's going to have enmity with the guy that he is going to swear in tomorrow because he did not uphold the law, and now he is going to have to face the President of the United States in everything else. There's either going to be harmony or there's going to be disharmony between the two of them. He's going to have to say, from this point forward, I'm going to stick to the rule of law. And if he doesn't, then he's the one that's going to suffer, I guarantee you, because the president is not going to take his grief. He's not going to take it. So uh, this is the state that he has brought upon himself. And this is just an 
a uh, example so you can see that it applies whether to a judge or whether to a NASCAR driver or whether to a Jew. It applies always in the same context, okay? When you're thinking about these things, just insert a different category and say, does it apply? And then think it through, oh yeah, see how nicely it fits? Okay, all this is telling us that being circumcised means nothing without obedience. What God asks for is that our heart is turned toward him and that we are obedient to what he requires, okay? That's all that matters. We are obedient to what he requires. And what does he require? Faith in Jesus Christ. And I think it's John 6.29. I bring it up from time to time. Is it John 6.29? I think so. Let me read it to you. Burke, go ahead and quote it if you know it. John 6, verse 29 says... No, it's Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That is the work of God. That is what will bring you into a right standing with God and nothing else. Not Sabbath observance, not uh, uh, you know doing the Passover, not going to Jerusalem after the rapture because you're still here if you're trying to do these things and saying I'm going to reinsert myself into the temple rites. That's what we were talking about before class today is Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 where it says that those who have tasted and blah, blah, blah speaking about going back under the law. These people have seen what has happened in Christ, and now they go back under the law, and they say, well, I'm going to go back to the temple sacrifices. And remember, Hebrews, in the line of the Bible, comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Paul's epistles, and then you have, starting here, James, and then you have Hebrews. It's written to the Hebrew people of the end times, and it's speaking to those people. It's not going to bring you salvation by going back under the temple rites. Christ has come. The temple means nothing. The point of going through the tribulation period is to show them that. And they're going to be whittled down in numbers to very few. But those who come through will know who Jesus is and they will rejoice. And it's going to be a wonderful time after that, but it's going to be horrible in the process. So, life application. Um, God has sent his son. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. Jesus into the world to fulfill the law, which none of us can fulfill. Now he asks us to accept what Jesus has done on our behalf, thus allowing us to meet the impossible demands of the law through him vicariously. Everybody knows what vicariously means? He did it on our behalf, okay? Let us apply this to our life by being grateful from moment to moment for the grace he has lavished upon us. Okay. How do you earn grace? Good. That's all I needed to hear. All right. Can you see that ladder so everybody online hears that? You don't. You don't. Thank you. You do not earn grace. It is bestowed upon you. All you do is receive it. All right? God so loved the world, blah, 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 blah. You know it. Believe. Believe and receive. Verse 228. Oh, let me get to 228 here. And, um, boy, I thought I was going to trip you all up with that one. And, Burke, he was really quick on the ball with that. 228 says, um, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward and in the flesh. Okay? 228. The Hebrew people were given the right of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. From Abraham came Isaac, and from Isaac came Jacob, who is Israel. Gotta stop here and tell you something. Sergio sent me um, chapter, what is it, chapter 36? Sergio, what is it? Was it chapter 36? Boy, I wish I could do these Genesis sermons all over again. Maybe we should just go back and do it. 
Um, I think the one where Jacob is wrestling with um, uh, on the shores of the Jabbok River with the uh, the uh, angel from God. There, God appeared. To, it must be thirty-two. Is that Jacob? Yeah, Jacob went his way, and the angels of God met him. Uh, Genesis thirty-two. He sent me a list of chiasms of chapter thirty-two, which would absolutely astonish you. It is, and they overlap each other two and three times, and they they are so detailed and so precise in that chapter. I don't know how we miss this kind of stuff. I can read the Bible a million times and miss stuff like this, but he sent me this list of them. It, it is such a marvel of literature that I couldn't believe it. I was astonished. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is this is something that when you look at the Bible and you say, "How do I know if this is God's word?" Just look at it a little longer. Just keep studying it, and the more you study it, the more you're going to say, this is really God's word. It is astonishing what is in this. Oh, here's a question for all of you. Uh, this is, um, uh, I want you all to go home. This is your homework, and then I'll give you an answer this weekend. What passage does Paul cite, what Old Testament passage does Paul cite in Ephesians 5, verse 14? So just remember that when you get home, study it, go read all your scholars' commentaries, and find out what passage is Paul citing in Ephesians 5, verse 14. Huh? You say Isaiah, okay? So, I want you to know that you'll probably be wrong when you uh, give me your answer, but I will give you that uh, answer this weekend. And, uh, what you uh, If you remind me, I'll send it to you. No, 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 oh. no. You, all the people that's listening online, yeah, yeah, you know, send in your letter to me. And then I can send it back. That I have your address. Oh, okay. Just, they have to send a letter. They you? send a you, send a letter in. That's right. Not an email or a postcard. Money, you can't put money in a postcard. <laughs> Burke is such a joker. He always says it. He, he, he's got this joke. He says because he's doing ministry work all the time. He says don't don't send me a postcard. Send me a letter, because in a letter you're more likely to get a dollar bill in there. So you're such a you're such a he's a funny guy. Okay, so here we go. The Hebrew people had the right of circumcision in Genesis 17. From Abraham came Isaac, from Isaac came Jacob, who is Israel. From Israel came the twelve tribes of Israel. The fourth being, fourth tribe? Judah. Judah, thank you. Judah became the preeminent tribe of the Israelites, and the term Jew, being derived from Judah, became synonymous with all of the people of Israel. To this line of people was given the right of circumcision, which was to be an outward mark of what should be an inward trait which is a separation from the world and a dedication to and the service of the true God. Okay? But there's a little more to it than that. It is to be a sign of their... Abraham? Genesis 15, verse 6, their faith. Faith. It is to be a sign of their faith in the promises of God through in the coming Messiah. Okay? But that's just a little sidebar there. Okay? In today's verse, though... Paul removes the outward sign as the identifying mark of the Jewish people. And he thus strips them of their privileged status based on this sign alone. Okay? There must be more to it than the sign itself. Four is a conclusion resulting from the previous three verses. He says four at the beginning of this verse. He has a conclusion based on the three verses that I read you. I started in, I think, 25, 26, and 27. Okay? So... For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Even though they have the heritage, even though they have the lineage, which comes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who is Israel, and then the fourth son, Judah, if they don't have what he is going to necessitate, then they're not a true Jew. The word for outwardly here is phanero. It indicates what is visible. 
a beard, well, normally identifies a man, right? It's changing. Um, <laughs> did anybody see the, uh, oh, somebody sent me the most disgusting thing, is, I, I can't see it now, I just can't. It's just so horrible where this world is going. It, it, it happened this past week and it was just vile. Anyway, somebody with a beard did something and it's not a somebody with a beard, if you know what I'm saying. I, I just, I can't believe where this world is. Okay, but the beard will normally, will say, identifies a man. It is an outward sign of being a male. The circumcision was supposed to be the same. The outward mark identifies what the person is. But Paul strips this notion. Just as a woman could be born with hypertrichosis, which means she has a beard, or she could have a false beard to make her look like a man, she is nonetheless a female. The same is true with the Jew. The outward sign does not make the person. Okay, hypertrichosis, who had that? Does anybody know who had hypertrichosis? Come on, you... Woman with a beard. No, no, no. Well, yeah, a woman with a beard, but somebody else. You, you slept during that sermon. Esau. His whole body was covered in hair. He had the condition of hypertrichosis, right? Okay. He was a male. That's okay. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's having too much hair. It's yeah, hypertrichosis. Hyper meaning much, and trichosis would be yeah, trichosing at your. She's a shim. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so anyway, just seeing if anybody paid attention during that sermon, and apparently nobody did. That's okay. I'm not hurt. Um, the detail just didn't stick. It, yeah, the details didn't stick. Okay, so. It doesn't matter. It, the word, I used the word in the sermon. Okay, so uh, Paul then explains this. He says, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, right? You've got a beard on a woman and she's not a, a man, okay? No circumcision that is outward in the flesh. The circumcision of the foreskin on the male was to be an external display of the true circumcision which is reflected in the inward man. Okay, I cited last week, um, I think it was here, maybe it was in the thing I typed this week. Anyway, um, the law, Moses says in Deuteronomy, circumcise your hearts, right? He says it twice in Deuteronomy. Who else says it in the Old Testament? Ezekiel. No? Ezekiel. One more guess. It begins with J and ends with Aramiah. Anybody? No? Okay. He says here, um, I'll read, start with uh, chapter 4, verse 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Verse 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts. You men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, let my fury come forth like a fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. He's saying you're not even, you're circumcised in the flesh. It means nothing. Unless you have your heart geared towards me, it doesn't mean anything. Old Testament bears out what Paul is saying. Everybody likes to ignore Paul, especially, you know, people that are facing doctrinal issues, but he is the one that is citing always the Old Testament. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Um, let's see here, um, Jeremiah 4, where was that? Um, uh, due to, oh yeah, I'm way down here now. Okay, the people's trust in the outward right, meaning circumcision, without accompanying inward conviction would only result in harsh judgment. The true Jew is the one who lives in accord with the expectations of the outward sign, having the inward circumcision to accompanying it. All right? Now that this has been discerned, one of the most vital distinctions of all must be made. Is a person a Jew if they are circumcised in the heart, but they are not of the line of Israel? 
He got it right. If you are circumcised in the heart and you're not of Jewish descent, you are not a Jew. That's replacement theology. See what I'm saying? You probably misunderstood what I was asking, but you, you, he's right. And this is a real problem in Christianity is because they say, well, these people aren't Jews because they haven't called on Jesus. Well, then where are the Jews? And I'll give you an example of this in just a minute, okay? I'm going to read that again so everybody understands. Is a person a Jew if they're circumcised in the heart but not of the line of Israel, meaning of Jewish descent? And the answer is no, okay? This is a fundamental error in theology which will be carefully treated in the next chapter and throughout the entire New Testament. However, there are those who claim that this is the case. Anybody know who does that? R.C. Sproul of Ligonier Ministries in, uh, stated this in Table Talk Magazine, which I read every morning of my life. I read Table Talk, and you get good out of it, but you also get a lot of bad theology out of there. And the bad theology is Reformed theology. Bones. What's that? Bones. Yes, he's... Bones. bones. Okay, so here's what he says. This is his quote. We're not dispensationalists here. We believe that the church is essentially... Israel. We believe that the answer to what about the Jews is, here we are. He's saying that we, the church, are the Jews. We deny that the church is God's plan B. We deny that we are living in God's redemptive parenthesis. And if you understand what he's saying, is he's saying that here we have, I'm going to erase this now, so if you remember Ephesians 5.14, I want you to give me an answer to that. But this is a man that is as schooled in theology as any person I've ever read in my life. And yet he's made a fundamental error. And then he uses these words to scare his people into believing that, oh, I have to adhere to this by saying we have no plan B, right? No plan B means Jesus. It doesn't mean Israel and the church. No plan B, right? Okay, here we have the Jews. We have Daniel 9, 24 through 27, which says that there are... Um, uh, 490 years given to Israel, right? And we know 100% from the date of, I think it's the decree of Atarxerxes, which is 445 BC, and I may be wrong on this, so don't quote me on that, but Atarxerxes says go back to the land, right? From that time until we get to, what's that? March 14. March 14, 445 BC, so I was right, 14 March, all right? And from there until the crucifixion of Messiah, which occurred on, uh, it was 6 April of AD 32, he was uh, rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. And from that point, history stopped as far as the 490 years of Daniel. There were only 483 years to that point. That leaves 490 minus 483 is what? Huh? Oh, seven years, okay? So... At that point, and then he was crucified five days later, and I'm going to talk about that in another sermon, so don't bring that up right now, on 11 April of AD 32, okay? And then um, uh, from there, we believe, as dispensationalists, and he says, oh, we're not dispensationalists, we believe that there is a gap, and it's something called the church age, right? Church age. Oh, I know, I put this down here, and I shouldn't have done that, and I think I made the camera go all over the place. Sorry about that. If anybody's watching, I probably just caused a problem here. But anyway, and then after, however long the church age is, there's this gap, right? And then all of a sudden, at the end of the church age, we believe that there will be a rapture. No need to get into that tonight. It could be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I don't believe in that. I believe it's pre-trib, but 
We can get into that some other time. We're not in that book, book of the Bible right now. But pre-trib rapture is correct. Okay? And then from there, after that, there are seven years of what is called the tribulation period, right? And then after that, Christ returns. And then we have the millennial reign of Christ. One thousand glorious years on earth. Okay? So, here we have this prophetic timeline. And he is saying that we don't believe in a parentheses. He says that God doesn't have the church as something second. In other words, a plan B. And he says he, he rejects that. Well, it's not a plan B. There's no plan B at all here. While these people are what? The Jews. While they are under punishment because they rejected their Messiah, God isn't wasting the time. Now, I had a guy on a site just a day ago. He posted a question, and of course everybody's a specialist and they get in there and they see all these things. But his question was, show me where in the Bible there is a gap in Daniel's timeline. Okay? Has anybody heard that one before? Show me in the Bible where there's a gap in Daniel's timeline. It's implying the Bible never says that. Okay? Well, there's a couple points to it. The first one is that um, uh, the Bible never says the word rapture, but it teaches it. The Bible never says the word trinity, but it teaches it. The Bible never says anything about original sin, but it teaches the doctrine, right? So, that's a fallacy from the beginning. But more than that, guess what? If you are a R.C. Sproul replacement theologian, there's still a gap. There is no scenario in any of, there's like 500 different scenarios concerning Daniel's timeline. And not one of them is missing, uh, is without a gap. Not one of them. Why? When was the temple destroyed in Jerusalem? 70 AD. 70 AD. Right? Well, that's a pretty big gap from Jesus' crucifixion to 70 A.D. And if you were to say, well, it's the three and a half years, it's not talking about that, it's the three and a half years, Peter, um, uh, three and one half years, uh, in the middle of the week, it says that um, uh, he will bring in the sacrifice and uh, offerings, and the three and a half years is Peter's evangelism of the Jews, which it doesn't say anything about that in the uh, New Testament. But regardless of that, guess what? There's still a gap. And then even if you use another scenario, there's still a five-day gap from the being hailed the Messiah until the crucifixion. It doesn't matter which one you do. There's always, there's not one scenario that anybody has ever come up with that doesn't have a gap. Not one. There's no scenario where it just is a seamless 490 years. Not one. So it's the most dishonest thing in the world to say, the Bible doesn't say it. Show me in the Bible where there's a gap. And guess what? If you take the Bible as uh, the way it states in the book of Hosea, and it's pictured all the way throughout the Old and New Testament, a day doesn't always mean a single day. A day can stand for one year. A day can stand for 1,000 years. A day unto the Lord is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. That's Psalm 90, verse 4. Peter picks it up, and he says it in 2 Peter 3, 8. Right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's one day or if it's 2,000 years. A gap is a gap. And so they're being dishonest by saying that. There's no scenario that shows this. And so, if you take Hosea at his words, and he says, after two days he will restore us, on the third day he will raise us up, and you simply apply that to a day equals a thousand years, it's exactly what's happened. The Jews were restored after 2,000 years, and they're going to be raised up now at the beginning of the third millennium. Or the, actually the seventh millennium, but the third millennium since they were exiled. Okay? 
So it doesn't matter which scenario you use, there's always a gap. R.C. Sproul is as incorrect as he could be with this. He says, read it again. We are not dispensationalists here. Well, I am. Anybody else here not a dispensationalist? Oh, she put her hand down really quickly. <laughs> We're dispensationalists here because we believe that God has a plan for the Jews. Mm -hmm. Yes, you had a question. Yes. Um, doesn't, um, when Jesus stood in the synagogue and said um, that you've heard this fulfilled, in my hearing. Right. Didn't he astonish everybody by only quoting part? Yeah, he quoted half of Isaiah. The and prediction about what the Messiah was Yeah, that's right. It says, I'm um, to open the eyes of the blinds and to set the captives free. And then he stops right in the middle of the verse. And the second half of the verse says, and uh, the, to declare the, yeah, the, day to, of the, Lord. the day of the Lord. In other words, I'm doing this now. And at some point, Wrath is going to come upon the world. And that's exactly God right. God has always surprised us. That's right. He <laughs> always has. And that there implies a gap also. Because he said, I fulfilled this in your hearing. And the second half didn't happen. And it's one verse. So even in that, there's a gap. Okay? It, it, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Zola Levitt had a good way of describing Bible prophecy. If you think of a mountain range, and your eye can only fix on one thing at a time and you've got a whole bunch of mountains, you're either looking at this one or this one, but it's one mountain range. And when Joel says, this is going to happen, in the middle of the same verse, it says, this is going to happen, it's all one occurrence. It's just that they're thousands of years apart, or miles apart, if you're looking at a mountain range. The same thing with that, which you just said. It's one verse, and yet we know that the day of the Lord's wrath has not yet come. We know that. And yet, and if it did come, suppose that they're right. It came after 40 more years, okay? Okay, I've got a question for you. I've got a question for you. I asked this a week ago. Has anybody figured out what the sign of Jonah is yet? What? The sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah that Jesus speaks of? I asked you this week ago. Is it three days? Three days. Okay, I've already said that's not it. I've already said, what? Okay, that's not it. Okay, we'll, we'll find out this weekend, won't we? Well, he was Maybe. raised from the dead, too, from the depths of the... But that's not the sign. Okay, just so you know, that's not the sign. We'll find out this weekend. Uh, if you are if you pay attention to the sermon, no sleeping during the sermon. And I'll answer that question. Okay? Maybe it's two weeks from now. Anyway, it's coming. All right. It, it's not what you think it is, believe me. Um, okay, so, and I'll repeat this throughout the sermon, uh, the uh, Jonah sermons, just so that you can follow through with this. But um, uh, anyway, we'll go on. Um, we got 10 more minutes, and what was I reading? I was, oh yeah, I was reading, I'm going to finish his quote again. We're not dispensationalists here. We believe that the church is essentially Israel, which it never says that. Paul never says Israel is the church. He never says that a non-believer is a Jew. He's making a category mistake by saying that if a person that is circumcised and doesn't fulfill the law is not a Jew, then he makes the immediate assumption that, oh, a person that does meet the law is a Jew. That's a category mistake. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Israel is Israel. The church is not Israel, and I will never be a Jew. Yeah. Yes. Hasn't, doesn't it uh, specifically say someplace that we are engrafted into That's That's correct. Mind. That's Romans 9 so through 11, but they've got answers for that too. And their answers are wrong, but they, they, they will use that, and they'll say, well, they'll mishandle that as well. Another thing that... Um, uh, they will use one verse out of Galatians, the something of God, and they'll say, see, that's us, the Israel of God. You know that verse where it says that? 
it's not speaking of the church at all. The Israel of God is the Jews who are obedient to Christ. Paul would be the Israel of God. The Gentile believers in Philippi would not be the Israel of God. Paul never, never merges the two together. The church is the church. Israel is Israel. Israel can have people in the church, and the church can have people in Israel, but the two are not the same. I will never be Israel. I will never be a Jew. Okay? We are not replacement theologians. So he goes on. We believe that the, uh, the answer to what about the Jews is here we are. That's what he said. We deny that the church is God's plan B. We deny that we are living in God's redemptive parentheses. He uses these negative terms, plan B, God's parentheses, and all of this stuff to diminish what God is clearly showing in Scripture. Now, I will tell you this because I'm wrong on certain things. I know I am. I can't know everything in the Bible. I know that I make mistakes. And I will have to, according to James 3.1, face a greater judgment because I'm a teacher of the Bible. I guarantee you that he is wrong on this issue. He has not thought it through. He's trusted his teachers, and he has not trusted what the Bible says, and he will be judged for that. He's not going to lose his salvation, but this is a huge theological error. This is a giant error to say that I have replaced God's covenant people. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. God yes. never had a plan B. That's right. <laughs> but he, that's what he's saying. He's trying to say that we're saying it's a plan B. He's trying to use that against us when it's uh, it's bad terminology. He's simply mishand... Yeah, he's building a straw man. That's exactly what he's doing. Thank you. Okay, so this type of error, meaning R.C. Sproul's thinking, leads to confusion of what God is doing in and through history, and it inevitably results in a denial that Israel... The land and the people of today has a plan and a purpose in God's dealings with the world in which we live. That's why all of the liberal churches in America, without question, are anti-Israel. It's because they deny what God is doing. And they're the crazy liberal churches. Do you want to go and attend one of those churches where they have LGBT and they've got LMNOPQ and everything else? It, they're already crazy. And they're denying the evident. And so what do they do? They take it to the extreme and they say that Israel is not a valid expression of God's workings in history and we're going to reject them. And they support BDS and they support the Palestinian issue and all of these crazy things which are contrary to what God would have us do. Why would you put your lot in with them? R.C. Sproul is not a liberal, but that's where the theology comes from. And the more you have that theology, the quicker you move away from God and away from what God has ordained. It's those reformed churches which have fallen away and have allowed all of this trash to come into their churches. Dispensationalism is correct. Israel does have a purpose. So we'll go on. Um, uh, in essence, they are some sort of aberration. This is not the case at all, speaking of Israel. Extreme care needs to be given to the issue. And a little life application. Regardless of whether we are Jews or not, we are to have the inward circumcision of the heart. If we don't live as Christians, then the name Christian has no meaning. Let us endeavor to carefully evaluate our internal position and have it align with our external appellation, meaning name, okay? Um, the next one is going to be rather long. I don't think we're going to get through it in eight minutes. Um, we better not do that. Let's do a five-minute question and answer. Somebody's got something about this issue or something that uh, uh, you've got to have something that's out there. Sorry. Excuse me. Well, one of you. Well, I, I, I talked with someone this week, and he said 
he believes that Jesus Christ came the first time, but he doesn't believe he's coming again. Is there a name for people like that? Yeah, heretic. Well, I know he's a heretic, but yeah. I mean, is there a philosophy that the bush there. says that? I mean, uh, yes, there is. Have that? Yes, there is. If, what does it say every time you're not here on Sunday mornings, and you should be, but that's okay, <laughs> I'll forgive you. What does it say every time we take that communion? You come. We take the Lord's Supper until He comes again. Yeah. If you are a praetorist and you believe that Christ has already fulfilled everything in Bible prophecy except coming again, that means you're a praetorist you believe that before things. If you are a hyper-praetorist is what you're looking for. A hyper-praetorist is somebody that believes that not only has Christ returned, uh, I'm sorry, fulfilled everything in the Bible, He's also returned again. They believe that He returned in A.D. 70. And that this is the kingdom. This is the glory. This is the power. And this is the worst thing in the world. I would not want this to be my eternity for any... The world is getting worse and worse and worse. So they are a heretic and they... A praetorist is not a heretic. R.C. Sproul is a praetorist. He is not a heretic. He has bad doctrine. A hyper-praetorist is a heretic because they do not believe in the return of Jesus Christ. And it says right in the, the Lord's Supper that we proclaim his death until he comes. That's denying the Bible as it's written. It's denying a future hope of Christ's restoring, which obviously is not restored, and therefore he's a heretic. So that's all you need to know with that one. And we've got time for another one. Would you recommend that people read just that? I mean, you talk I, about it a lot. I, you know what? The answer is yes. As long as they are, it's like talking to Jehovah's Witness. I would never recommend a person um, uh, talk to a Jehovah's Witness in accord with Scripture where it says, do not welcome them into your house lest you share in their wicked work unless you set the parameters in advance and you are well trained. You're not welcoming them if you're debating them. You're not saying, come on in, brother. You're saying, I am here to give you right doctrine. That's not welcoming them. And they, they know me in the projects. I never wave to them. I don't say anything to them. I won't look at them. I'm not going to do that because if somebody sees me welcoming them, then I'm implying that they're okay, and I'm not going to do that. With R.C. Sproul, you asked, would I recommend people reading his devotionals? I've got 400 of them sitting on that counter right back there. You see there's a pile of them. Go back and look. Every time a month is up, I take it and I put the next one there. Invaluable information on the Trinity, on... But I would not recommend anybody read it if they are not well grounded in the fundamentals of dispensationalism and in the fundamentals fundamentals of um, uh, what is the doctrine um, election, predestination and election. Those two he has completely fouled up. But if you understand those doctrines and you want to know how to debate your enemy in those doctrines, not your enemy in Christ, but your enemy in those doctrines, read what he knows so that you know what he knows because if you don't know what your opponent knows you can't debate him logically so, so short, short answer for most people is no the short answer for most people would be no do not read rc sproul's table talk magazine unless you're aware of those doctrines and if you want one of these days we can go through election and predestination again i've got it all on a sermon back in um genesis um when uh, uh the older shall serve the younger when uh, what's her name um uh, rebecca goes to um yes jacob and esau but rebecca goes to find out why are they struggling in my womb why has this happened to me and i talk about that for the entire hour and i explain it but if you don't want to watch that sermon we can do it on the board and i'll give you a little bit more detail 
very easy to understand if you see it laid out. And so maybe we should do that, and we will, because he's going to talk about election and predestination in the book of Romans, so we will talk about that. But short answer is, don't go reading R.C. Sproul if you don't understand how they are wrong. But if you do, it's great information in his... I, I, reading, they're doing a study on the Trinity right now, and every morning I read it, and i got to tell you what, I learned something this morning, which I already knew. It's funny how you know something, but when you hear it, you can now repackage it differently than you did before. And so there's always something to be gained from reading other people's work. But at the same time, you have to be careful not to assimilate the incorrect doctrine. Okay, I want you to be careful with that. Um, uh, anything else? We've got a couple more. We've got one more question. Something? Something? I don't see. We can't finish Romans 2. There's just no way that we would be able to finish that But uh, uh, in two more minutes. We just can't. But... Um, all right, well, let's just close it for her. What? You can sing for I you. can sing for you. Put on your uh, earmuffs and get out your uh, handkerchiefs because you'll, you'll wish I didn't. Yeah, okay, well, let's say a prayer and uh, close up here. Paul, would you close us in prayer? <clears throat> Speak loud. We thank you, Lord, for uh, another day in your house and another day to look into your word. We thank you for the wisdom uh, that you've given Charlie and the knowledge, and we thank you for him willingly imparting it those who want to hear. Lord, we're in the midst of dark, uh, we're in light, but we're in the midst of darkness in this community. We pray that our light might shine to the lost uh, as we uh, meet them, see them, come across them in our paths. Lord, we just pray about tomorrow. Pray that everything might go well and uh, that the administration and its people might be safe and uh, that we might be able to enjoy transition into a government that's more favorable in your eyes. Guide us and direct us, Lord, in all we say and do. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.